and either welcome or welcome back to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's show, we will be discussing season four, episode 14, The Anar. Or is it the Enar? I think it's the Enar. Ah, well, it looks like Anar. We may go back and forth on the and pronunciation. And I like Anar better as a word. So I'm going to go with Anar. Okay. I'm not going to stop you. Okay, sounds good. Uh, that was... Uh, I've seen better. Yeah. It wasn't the worst episode of Enterprise, but that definitely feels like damning with faint yeah, praise. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not even worth pointing out. Um, yeah, no, it was... It was disappointing. I it think... was certainly one of the most puzzling episodes of Enterprise in many places. Oh, this will be fun to talk about then. Okay. I'm not sure I mean puzzling in a good way, though. I mean puzzling like it's a puzzle with some pieces missing. Hmm. Like it felt like there were chunks of the episode that were just straight up missing. I felt... And none of them were covered by that deleted scene on the Blu-ray set. I, I felt the opposite. I felt that it was an episode with too many pieces and not enough story to really be its own episode. So yes, I also felt that way. But in terms of the story they were telling, there were many things that happened where my thought was, this has not been set up. Okay. So I'm not sure that we actually disagree. No, no, I don't think we, I don't think we disagree that we'll find out later. I suppose that's true. In the meantime... But yeah, I think, I think for me, just like a big part of it was, I was looking forward to this episode for a while. Um, I mean, we do go like two months between episodes at this point. We're trying so. not to. So every episode is kind of an event for us at this point. No, but point. I've been looking forward to this for a while because um, on Strange New Worlds, there was a, an Anar character named Hemmer who was fantastic. And I wanted yes. to know more about them. And... And this was where the Anar came from, right? This was their first introduction to yeah. the series. Yeah. And also the cliffhanger on the previous episode was so inviting. Yeah, it's like, ooh, we're going to learn so many cool things. Mm. We should know better than to trust Star Trek in this regard I, at this point. I suppose. In our Star Trek watching I don't know, careers. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes. But we should know better than to think it's a guarantee. Yeah. I guess I, I guess I I had higher hopes. Yeah, no, I did too. The episode was definitely a letdown in many ways. Like not everything in it was bad. It had no. its moments, but uh-huh. on the whole, the whole thing put together was and eh, they can do better, especially mm-hmm. at this point. Should yeah. I tell everybody what it's about? Sure. All right. So this was the Anar, and this is the end of another one of their little three episode arcs. And part two of this three-part arc, we wrapped up most of the major conflicts and sources of tension, but a three-part story arc has to have three parts, so here we are. The Romulan drone ship was revealed in the cliffhanger last time to be under the telepathic control of a single Anar. We only knew what this is because we've seen Strange New Worlds. At the time, a mysterious alien, but he's an Anar. A subspecies of Andorians... Uh, who are blind white Andorians and too cool to hang out with their blue counterparts back on the home world. Literally, they're very cold. They're very cold, yes. 
that had a double meaning. I'm very clever. Why the Romulans decided that a single unwilling telepath was the best option for this very important invasion project, only Manny Cotto can guess. But anyway, <laughs> Archer and Shran are off to, is it Andor or Andoria? Fun. Andor Andoria, kind of like Victor Victoria. <laughs> played by the old Rurapente set. To recruit an ANR to help the, NS- the NX-01 counteract the telepathic drone. Back on the NX-01, Tucker and Phlox are building a telepresence unit that might be able to help them in this endeavor, but only at great risk to the user, who for now happens to be the only telepath on the station. Tucker's totally requited, but totally emotionally unavailable crush to Paul. On the station? The ship. Whatever. I know it's Mike Vehar, but this is not Babylon 5. Yeah, I know. It's not DS9 either. The ship. Okay. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. It feels like a station. All right. I'm getting through the summary. Archer and Shran, meanwhile, have recruited the sister of the kidnapped Anar to take to Paul's place in this new machine, but she complicates matters further by getting the hots for Shran, because I guess guys with icicle-impaled legs are a turn-on for some people. So... Will they stop the dastardly Romulans? Will Tripp and T'Pol ever resolve their feelings for each other? Did they seriously make Anthony Montgomery get into costume and makeup just to say 100 kilometers? The answer is yes. Yes, they did. <laughs> the star of the show, Porthos, will get to find out how Andorian ice worms taste soon. Oh, dear. I don't know. They look like they might be good puppy treats. I disagree entirely, but Okay. They looked nice and meaty. I don't know. Ugh. It's for dogs, not for you. Definitely not for me. Indeed. So... So you got some trivia for me? Yeah, yeah. So one I wasn't even thinking of mentioning. So um, I did read about it, and it's, it's kind of cute. So you asked whether it's Andor or Andoria. Uh-huh. Well, did you notice anything uh, about the the set there? It was cheap and ugly? Well, that was very much the case. Um... But on the surface, uh, if you looked up in the sky, there was a gas giant planet with uh-huh. rings. That was cool looking. It was. It was pretty. Do you, and they put that there because previously, due to the fact that Star Trek has been going on for many years and has had many writers, both Andor and Andoria had been used. Oh. And so the writers thought, why don't we resolve this by making the Andorians from a moon called Andor that orbits a planet called Andoria. I both like this and hate it at the same time. So, yeah, that... I like this because, okay, sure, that resolves it. I hate it because I don't actually feel like that needed to be resolved. They could just keep it Andor Andoria forever. It's a fun joke. (laughs) But as we've discussed before, Star Trek fans are definitely a group of people known for just letting the little things slide so maybe this was well, uh, insurance some, some of them do but some of them uh get glee out of of not letting these you things realize slide. i'm being 100 percent sarcastic when i say that right star trek fans are absolutely not a group of people known for letting little things slide oh i see ah okay that was not clear yes that was sarcasm <laughs> everybody if any of you have been wondering what Star Trek fans I've been hanging out with, the answer is Josh, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. Fair enough. 
So that wasn't actually my trivia. No, I take it. no. Um, this was Mike Fahar's last episode of Star Trek. Oh, he hasn't directed any new tracks? Dude's 80. Oh, so? I mean, I suppose there's no reason he couldn't come out of retirement and do it, but... But he's retired? I'm pretty sure he's retired. Fine. Um, but I figured let's talk about Mike Vehar. Let's do it. Because he's, well, he's directed 10 episodes of Enterprise. We have 10 podcast episodes about his work. Cool. And that's probably the, the you know, pinnacle of his career, having us talk about him so many times. Definitely. Definitely. No, um, you know, obviously he's directed a lot of TV stuff. Um, yep. A ton of the Babylon 5 stuff, too. Yep. I think he may have done some of the Babylon 5 movies, too. That's possible. Um, as far as Star Trek goes, his first Star Trek episode he directed was a TNG episode um, from the first season called Coming of Age. It's one of the... I, I, I'm not sure exactly how many, but there were at least two, maybe more episodes about Wesley taking the, the Starfleet... Uh, or the... Starfleet Academy entrance, entrance exam. He did that in season one? He did it multiple times. I was going to say, I remember him doing this in season four or five, too. He did it a lot. Okay. I don't know. The writers wanted that plot point to keep coming back or something? I don't know. Uh, sure. And the, the entrance exam was always ridiculous. Yes, I do remember that. Anyway, that was his first. Uh, and then he, uh, he took a break from directing Star Trek for a little while and uh, came back in, uh, I think, the fifth season of DS9. Okay. Ended up directing seven episodes of DS9, 13 on Voyager, and 10 on Enterprise. Well, the fifth ep- the, the episode season. The fifth season of DS9 was right around when DS9 got really, really good. Mm-hmm. So we're going to hand the credit for that to Mike Fahar. <laughs> and I think he may have been working on Babylon 5 before that. He was working on Babylon 5 before that. He directed many episodes of Babylon 5 starting from season 1. Mm-hmm. And he directed other stuff too, but... Eh, don't need, need eh, to who go. cares about yeah. that? Yeah. Um, though, on Babylon 5, he got a nickname. And by the way, I've been saying... Uh, we've been saying Mike Vahar. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually Vahar. Vahar? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But whatever. I, I, first, I first heard his name said as Mike Vehar, and so ever since then he's been Mike Vehar to me. We are not uh, good at pronouncing things as they are meant to be pronounced on this podcast. We, I'm just going to apologize also, in general to all entities in the universe. Also, sometimes people, like for example, Andre Bormanis, pronounce their own names wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure, sure. So anyway, he had a nickname. Yeah. Veharder and Veharder. Because he apparently uh, was willing to go way over time oh. uh, to get the episode right. I'm sure that made him popular. Yeah. It, like, <laughs> like he, he, he's a good director. And he, uh, you know, like uh, a lot of the writers really liked him because he, he took their work and made it even better by directing a, it well. He's a very good TV director. And like, I have very few issues with the direction of the episode that we just watched. And sometimes producing really good art is not fun and it takes a lot of time and it makes you unpopular when you're making everybody work really hard. Yeah. But still, that guy must have been popular on set. <laughs> 
But yeah, that's uh, that that was apparently his nickname there. Ah, I like it. Yeah. So anyway, there's your uh, there's a little Mike Vihar uh, story time. All right, cool. So uh, on to the, the episode start. Faith of the Start, the segment in which we ask ourselves one increasingly not simple question on a scale of one to ten: How much did the theme song ruin the cold open? I gave it a five. I gave it a six. And yeah, same realm of uh, ruination. I considered this a nice classic Enterprise theme song mood ruiner. We will hunt down Enterprise and destroy it. Destroy it. It's been a long mm-hmm. road. Yeah. Yep. Nope. That's a that's a that's a hard turn. Yep. Just like right smack in the middle for me. That is that is what the theme song is there to do. Yep. So shall we talk about the, what we liked? Yes, I guess so, because there was a fair bit of stuff that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You want to go first this time? I liked... Uh, like, Strain is a, is a fun character to begin with. Yes. He's incredibly proud. And here, he is off balance, literally. Yep. Because he lost one of his antennae, he, he, he has trouble walking and being balanced. And... For a character that proud, that's hard. And I, I liked seeing him in this uncomfortable situation. And you can tell that it's like, at minimum, this low-level source of constant annoyance throughout the entire episode. Yeah. Like, every time they, every time his face was in a shot, pretty much, you could tell that he was annoyed about something and that it was probably that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I saw him, like, kind of, like, holding onto things a lot more than... Uh... One normally would. Yes, and just like Jeffrey Combs' walk the entire time was kind of off kilter. Mm-hmm. Good job. It's a good performance. Yeah. It remains a good performance. It is, if nothing else, it is a shame that Enterprise didn't stick around for longer so that that character couldn't have stuck around for longer because I know they were planning on bringing him back more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like the Anar's costumes. Like, oh. and, like and makeup. But I already like the Andorian makeup, so that's not a surprise. It's basically the Andorian makeup, but white with some red eyeshadow. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it was a very like simple, kind of reminded me of the Mimbari costumes, actually, just in all white. A very simple, monochrome, priesty, ethereal costume. I liked, uh, what's her name, Jamel? Mm-hmm. I liked her little mesh veil scarf. That was there for no particular functional reason except to make her look a little bit more ethereal. I, my, my one thought, and I, I did have this thought while I was watching the episode, aren't they cold? I don't think they are, though. Like, one of the things that was in my notes was that uh, when Archer told her, when she asked him what his ship was like and he said warm, I wrote down, is that a good thing for her? Because, <laughs> like, they live... In basically the North Pole. Yeah, but they also... And like, they don't seem to struggle with the cold at all, except for her. But but they also live underground, uh, at least I think somewhat, because it's less cold than it is on the surface. I mean, I'm sure it's still cold, but clearly they are capable of withstanding comfortably colder temperatures than humans are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I don't know. I was under the impression that uh, temperatures comfy for humans were probably going to be pretty uncomfortably warm for her but in on the list of things this episode didn't consider and probably should have that's pretty far t- to the bottom okay okay but yeah i like their costumes i just like the aesthetic of their costumes 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in general, I liked for the first three quarters of the episode or so, uh, the dynamics going on between Paul, Trip, and Flox, where Flox knows what's going on. The doctor always knows. And uh, Trip is. In, I don't know. There, there was like you know, with Trip asking to Paul, like you know, what she thought of when she was in a near death experience. She thought she was going to die, and her answer was that she had to transfer auxiliary auxiliary power to the deflector. <laughs> and he was like so disappointed. Like Trip, what did you think she was going to say? Yeah, but I know he's not. The entire episode, he's not thinking straight. And honestly, the fact that Phlox became part of that dynamic made it a little bit more tolerable. I mean, Phlox is great, basically, all the time. He is, but I didn't want to see another episode of the two of them just... Being the two of them. Being the two of them at each other. And the fact that he was in there changed things up enough that I almost cared. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later. Yeah. And he had a, and Flux also on that note had a great line about uh, Trip suffering from the one ailment that is universally untreatable. That was a good line. Yeah. And John Billingsley did a very good delivery of that uh, line. I want more Flux in our lives. Yeah. One of the like bittersweet things about knowing that the show is coming to an end in our watch soon is knowing how little time we have left with some of these characters and how little of it is probably going to be used well for some of them. But we'll get to more of that later. Yeah. We may have to go like buy some uh, novels or something. Oh, boy. To, to keep I guess we'll going. find out if there are any good Enterprise novels. Um, speaking of character dynamics that I liked, if mm-hmm. you're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I liked the dynamic between Shran and Jamel. Mm-hmm. Um, the Anar themselves were kind of generic and boring. She was a cute character, though. Um, and I liked the, I liked the way that she and Shran played off each other, where it's like, it's flirty, but not too, too flirty. They clearly care about each other from very early on. Their conversations are very believable. They, They're both charming. They had chemistry from the beginning. They did. Um, obviously, Shran is busy morning. Yep. Uh, so, you know, it's still cool that the characters just hit it off so well. And I generally liked her, but I liked her especially as a balance to Shran. Mm-hmm. Um, his previous girlfriend that he just lost was ultimately probably a little bit too much like him. Hmm. And this one is very much not like him. And I think that's kind of what he needs in his life. Oh, okay. So you want to see them get together. I have my suspicions. Okay. Okay. I I mean, I could tell there was... I thought it was pretty clear that, like, they're a thing from the end of the episode. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not get that, but... Oh, Okay. I mean, he's holding her hand while she's in her bed, and then they're leaving together. I know they were both going back to the same place, but it was still like they're leaving together together. I thought, anyway. Okay. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. Maybe we will. Um, Okay, yeah. Uh, I liked the the image of the underground uh, ice city that the Anar live in. That part didn't look cheap and crappy. 
That was also CG and not soundstage. Yeah, but what I said stands. That part didn't look cheap and crappy. It was well designed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool city. Your turn. Oh, okay. Um, not surprising for an episode directed by Vehar, Vahar, whatever his name is, but uh, lots of interesting camera work in this episode. I remember especially making a note of a shot of Tucker and T'Pol that was happening through the bio bed. Huh. I... Interesting. There were a lot of shots of people from below that uh, made it look in general like the characters were in smaller spaces than they were, which is an effective technique for creating tension, which this episode really needed. So gotta, gotta get it where you can. I think without some of that camera work, it would have been even less exciting in places than it was. Okay. So a thing that I think they actually did pretty well um, in created tension, even though, eh, kind of, we, we kind of saw where this was all going, um, is when that, when they first encountered the, uh, you know, the, the decoy ship, I don't the, the drone ship. Yeah. Um, and it was, a te- it was disguised as a Tellarite freighter and they have to make a decision. Do they just attack it? Because if it's not a Tellarite freighter or sorry, if it really is a Tellarite freighter, then wow, you just started a war. Yeah. Um, and you, you could tell that they were, you know, nervous about this and they do not have much time to make a decision. Yeah. Very I, true. I thought that was really cool. And I, I think that that sort of thing could have made for something really like, if it was more of the episode, it would have been pretty cool. But on the other hand, they had already figured out a way to tell whether these were really the um the decoy ship or not yeah so it didn't take too long for that tension to get alleviated but even like those little pops of tension airtime are welcome yeah yeah my next one was so nice that i just realized i wrote it down twice uh even (laughs) though (laughs) even though um i did not approve of everything that led up to it i did very much like the final scene between tucker and archer oh oh you didn't like that scene no I mean, I I think it's dumb that Tucker is putting in for a transfer that we all know isn't going to last, but I liked the way that it was played out between them. And I especially liked the way the scene was lit. Okay. Though the funny thing was when, when the scene first came on, I made a note of like, I don't like this lighting. It's too harsh. And then as the scene continued to play out, I decided, no, I actually do like this lighting because it's making both of them look kind of old and tired, which I think is fitting. Yeah. For that scene. Because they are kind of old and tired at this point. Yeah. And that's part of what's changed between them over the course of the series. Yeah, they're not as young as they were back in season one, getting pregnant and... uh... Getting pregnant and... uh... (laughs) What did Archer do in season one? B. Scott (laughs) Did Archer do things in season one? (laughs) Um, Yeah. But... uh... Whatever else, whatever was actually happening in that scene, I thought it was very well acted, especially from Connor Trenier, who did a lot of acting with his jawbone mm-hmm. and the clench in it. Um, he and did. The, and the contrast between his uh, extreme stiffness and Archer's just sort of acceptance that this was going to happen 
even though he's fairly hesitant and reluctant about it. Like Archer knows there's something else going on. Oh, he does. But I actually appreciated that uh, Tucker never told him and Archer never made him. Hmm. Okay. I thought that was in keeping with the relationship the two of them have developed, that Tucker doesn't feel like he needs to say it and Archer doesn't feel like Tucker needs to say it also. Okay. Do you think Archer knows what it is? I think that Bakula's performance and some little things in it indicate that Archer at least suspects what it is. Mm-hmm. He'd have to be pretty dumb not to. And Archer's pretty dumb, but I don't know <laughs> if he's that dumb. Okay, fair enough. Fair Your enough. turn. Um, I liked, you know, in general, yes, I liked uh, Jamel. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that the way that um, they ask for permission to read minds. Yeah. Um, and it and uh, it makes sense. They're a they're a pacifists. Like they're supposed to be extreme pacifists, and to intrude into somebody's thoughts without having permission would, to some extent, be an act of violence. So, but it, it I don't know. There was there was something neat about how how easy it is for them to just completely like see what you're thinking and see what what everything about your mind and they resist doing it until you uh until you give permission i don't know i thought that was it's kind of neat i had that written down too i liked how low-key their telepathy was yeah there's 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 no no, need to there's no need to like stick their fingers in your face we don't have to like hear voices echoing in their heads all the time they don't start having weird facial reactions when they start hearing your thoughts it's just like that's their that's the natural way of things for them mm-hmm. is to hear what you're thinking and they'll make the effort to stop but uh if you tell them they can it's just like oh okay yeah i know everything about you now oh you're full of contradictions yep <laughs> well that explains a lot <laughs> that was a, that, <laughs> that was, was a good, good line. line that was a good line too um you took my last one so i'm out okay um well there were other things i wasn't such a big fan of relating to them um jamel and her brother like talking to each other telepathically that was a cool series of shots and again cool lighting Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i don't have any problems with the craft of the episode for the most part Mm -hmm. for the most part okay yeah and I, i also thought jamel was you know interesting in how she had nightmares um which were telepathic, uh, I guess, calls from her brother. Mm-hmm. They've got some some pretty crazy telepathy to be able to reach across distances like that, I guess. Yeah, they do. Anyway, I think it's time to do those minuses. Those minuses. Well, I'll start with a relatively small one, but it was still just like a, come on, you should be thinking about this stuff by this point. Archer, put a scarf on, you dummy. <laughs> Like, I know it's probably actually 95 degrees on that set, but like minus 28, which I'm assuming is Celsius, but still minus 28. It's cool. You're going to have, you're going to have frostbite by the time you get back on the Enterprise. Yeah. uh, A scarf would have been smart. Yep. Like, I guess, I guess Andor Andoria is just cold, so I can understand Shran not being overdressed, but Archer, you got to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of thing that just like, come on, costume people, you know better at this point. Yeah. Or they could have just not made it that cold. Scriptwriter could have done whatever they want. True. 
I feel like it maybe Andor Andoria has been established as being cold before, but didn't have to be that cold. Yeah, I I don't know if they didn't have to call attention to the fact that Archer was very underdressed for being in the environment he was in. Yeah. I mean, to an extent, I'll, I'll assume that their coats are better than our coats. Yeah, but his face was completely exposed. His face exposed. was completely exposed, yeah. Yeah, so, dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it is a nice uh, sort of contrast. Uh, if the Vulcans and Andorians are, are rivals, the, the Vulcans are on the very hot planet and the Andorians are from the very cold one. Yeah, Shran even commented on that. Oh, did he? Well, he said something about how the Vulcans claim that like the desert is the ultimate oh, you're right. test, but you're right. It's really the ice, and he, he forgot that you can have ice deserts. But whatever, that's a very well. That, small no, that thing. that's a that's getting into semantics. Yes, um, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, okay, uh, is it my turn? Yep. Okay, um, the Romulans. Yep. Just in general. Yep. Uh, I. I, they they were basically completely isolated. Like yeah, they have been the whole time, but like we can't see them, uh, and nobody else can see them either. D- despite uh, Star Trek's continual efforts, we know that we never saw the Romulans' faces until uh, Kirk did at the end of uh, Balance of Terror. Yep. And so, you know, why why? Why do you keep doing this? And so, so anyway, that means they've got to be very isolated. And I just, I could not care. They were trying to do something about, they were trying to make me care about these, these bad guys. And no, it wasn't going to happen. They weren't like, by this point, the Romulans have too much built into them. Like they've been a fully established Star Trek race through TNG. And you can't just backtrack to having them be completely generic bad guys at this point, which they were. And they weren't just completely generic bad guys. They were completely generic dumb bad guys. I mean, that, that's not even the thing. Like, they were trying to, to, to create complexity for these characters. Like, give them a backstory. And, one, oh, maybe one of them cares about the, the pilot. And one of them doesn't. And it, I it just... it. I couldn't bring my... It couldn't do anything to me. They... I, I did not find them interesting. No, but also every time they said something, basically, I got more questions. Like when... Uh, I forget his name, but the uh, kind of froggy-faced admiral who was the the bad, bad guy said something about how uh, the uh, pilot's health was of no particular concern to him. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay... After this mission is over and presumably succeeds and your pilot's dead because you ran him into the ground, what are you going to do then? Do you have to go kidnap another Anar? I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Or I guess their goal was to start a war. Like, none of you are thinking about any of this. Mm-hmm. Were you just going to, like, throw out your drone after that? Yeah, and now we're going to just pretend, like, I guess forget about this probably i guess so yeah it's very we kind of have to because y'all do this when you insist on bringing in elements from later shows into the prequel show Mm Mm-hmm. you never learn here's your here's a suggestion take an element from the prequel show specifically flocks bring him into the later shows love it do it more denobulence please 
more denied ones, and maybe just flocks too. Yeah, that could be fun. Bring back Billingsley. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, here's another l- little dumb one, but still kind of bothered me because Archer, you've been through basically the military. You've got to have some very basic medical first aid training, even if Shran doesn't. Don't take the impaling thing out of the wound, you fool. I mean, that could be the only thing holding together your arteries at this point. I would hope that they got, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Like that's, that that's a really basic thing to learn is don't take the knife out of the wound or in this case the icicle out of the wound until mm-hmm. the patient is stable because mm-hmm. otherwise you just greatly increase the chance that he's going to bleed out from that wound mm-hmm. that was a cool scene for the record i liked the like electric blue icicle from his from his blood but uh yeah but, but that that was silly stop doing things that are dumb mm-hmm Okay, yeah. Uh, um, I'll just I'll just say it. the uh, the ending with uh, I, I, I get it. The one the one I, I liked. It. Yeah, Trip Trip is an idiot and yes doesn't know how to handle this. Yes, but I'm I'm just tired of of people going being like and this because this has happened before in Star Trek. Like, how many times did Data try to resign his commission? A lot. Um, like, I made a tiny mistake. I need to go now. Mm-hmm. I cannot be here. I'm just like, oh, I am, I'm tired of this. I mean, I do kind of get it, though, because if he can't sleep with his superior officer and he really wants to, it's going to keep tormenting him, so might as well, you know, get away from the problem. It's just silly because we know he's not going away. Yeah, he could have... They're not going to take him off the show. At least come up with a better excuse. But he just didn't give an excuse. I guess, I and guess that he, was one of the things that I liked. I, I guess I guess he did give give like a obviously not great excuse. Columbia needs him more. Which, no, it doesn't. I mean, it might. I don't know. I'm sure they, they got they, engineers. They just launched. Like, does Columbia need someone to go over there and be the one to get pregnant from alien races? Because... He's good at it. He is. It's true. Maybe, maybe they do need him. What will they do if, if there's no one to get pregnant? It will take him away from his shuttle pod buddy, Malcolm Reed. Oh, that's true. He, who he didn't even think of. Yeah, it's true. He was just kind of there this episode, so it's understandable why they didn't really think of him. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I liked the craft in that scene. I didn't necessarily like the content of the scene. Okay. Fair. Fair enough. Yeah. The craft was very good. You know where the craft was not very good? Uh, the ice. Welcome back, styrofoam mines of Ruripente. It it was even... I think this was maybe even (laughs) worse. Was that actually just the reused set? I don't know. Because it looked just as cheap and crappy, and I feel like I've seen some of those tunnels before. I thought it looked worse. Um, Because on uh, the Ruripente set, like, at least there was styrofoam that's, floaty bits like snow that's stalact- that stalactite was made of paper mache <laughs> like there were there wasn't even snow this time it was just like plaster walls <laughs> there was some snow in the establishing shot and then the snow immediately went away as soon as we got to the surface oh was there snow in the establishing shot yeah oh okay 
And at that moment, I was like, oh, this actually looks kind of cool. And then we got into the soundstage and okay, well, that didn't last. Well, they, they, no, they didn't go to the surface. They went underground, which is probably why there was no more snow. But like when they were when when they were, I guess, heading towards the planet and there was an establishing shot of the surface and it was snowing there. Oh, I see. But uh, then they got underground and everything looked like crap. Yeah, no, it it was it it was pretty embarrassing. Like, come on, guys. Do you really have that little budget left? I mean, in some ways, it's a nice little throwback because it reminds me of some of the sets from uh, the original series. Yeah, but in the original series, they're like charming. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was trying to decide the original if this series, one was charming or the not. The original series was being made on a budget of about $12 per episode, and they were being such uh, go-getters anyway. And in this one, it just looked lazy. Yeah. No, it, it definitely looked lazy. It was it was very bad design. It was. Anyway, your turn. I'm mostly out, I think. Um, yeah, just... Just generally, the the episode, uh, the it was kind of yeah. Just it, my general thing because I don't have any more specifics. I thought the little story between um, uh, Jamal and her brother was was kind of cute, but the whole thing felt very forced. It did. Like they they put in this half baked little sci fi. Uh, family thing um, to make up for the fact that this was not a trilogy. No, it was a two-parter. It was a two-parter, and they they tried to stretch it into a trilogy that it really couldn't support, and they thought about putting in something, they have put in something to try to make us feel more sympathy for the Romulans, and no, it didn't, didn't really work. work. There was a deleted scene where it, which was supposed to, I guess, cement that, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't have helped. No, wouldn't have helped. Didn't need that scene. And um, meanwhile, like, we've got the trip into Paul stuff happening. Uh, and this is something that I I would have out. rather just done some, you know... I would have rather, like, explored Anar culture more. Yeah, but we don't have time for that because we got to do ship drama. You got to figure out what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, I'm flat out stealing this from somebody else's commentary on the episode, but the whole trip into Paul thing is much less will they or won't they, and much more for the audience, care they or don't they. Mm. And I am very firmly in the don't they camp at okay. this point. Um, but uh, my major minus for this one, I was actually rather excited to watch that deleted scene because I was hoping it would answer some questions I had. It just felt like parts of this episode were missing. Okay, tell me what. Like, things kept happening where I was like, where did they establish this? So the first time that I noticed this was when Jamel was creeping at the end of uh, Shran's hospital bed, Mm -hmm. where I had a moment of, wait a minute, who are you? And then had to remember that she had been in the first scene when they saw the Anar. But it was like, there appears to be a relationship between you already. Mm. And in no way was this established. Like, you're talking to each other, like, maybe not quite old friends, but definitely people who are not having their first ever conversation right now. Hmm. Um, And then, I don't remember exactly when I wrote this down, but I actually wrote down in my notes, starred, like, it feels like scenes in this episode are missing. Um, Another one that I remembered 
was uh, actually near the end of that conversation between Archer and Tucker, where Tucker says something about like, and I had to ask you like what he said at this moment, because it didn't make any sense to me where he said something about like he calibrated the telepresence unit wrong or something. Mm-hmm. There was some techno babble, but it was like, this has not been established at no point. Was it ever noted visually that you were having trouble focusing on the construction of the unit. Mm. At no point has it ever been suggested before that you were at fault for the unit screwing up. It was just like, this is an experimental new thing that we've built and it's probably going to be dangerous for the person in it. Like, I think he was trying to use it as an excuse to leave the ship. I mean, sure, but it was still just kind of a, wait, where did this come from all of a sudden Okay. moment? Um, there were others. I don't immediately remember what they were. I mean, I can I can add to this a little bit. The, uh-huh. the whole telepresence thing was, and I think is, really weirdly contrived. Now, to be fair, Star Trek will do that. It will. Um, but, like, why do you need to be telepathic? And uh, wouldn't... wouldn't the the trickier thing be not like taking control of it or you know what the user interfaces between the person and the device because you know you don't need telepathy for user interface i'd be more worried about how am i going to communicate over that vast light years of distance instantaneously to make the uh the the control work yeah, they just kind of didn't threw worry all that about to that. The winds didn't worry about it. Yeah, they they were they were worried about the the wrong things and like I was, I was almost a little bit embarrassing at the beginning when DePaul is explaining telepresence to the crew because I could tell that this is like oh you asked uh, Andre Bormanis about like what you would call something like that mm-hmm. and he looked it up and. It was like a relative. Well, Andre Bormanis wrote this episode. Oh wait, really? Yeah, Manny Cotto did the uh, did the story, but then Andre Bormanis wrote the script. Oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, but that that felt very much like ah, this is a real thing. We gotta explain it because most of the audience won't know about it. Because to be fair, you know, it wasn't really it's something true. we were doing um, back around that era. But you know, nowadays it, it's not like crazy for someone to have a you know a vr hat on and uh you know be somewhere else yeah it's true they couldn't have known that at the time but it was still yeah um so yeah i think that actually circles back to what you thought were going to be conflicting complaints about the show was that it is simultaneously very busy yet not busy in the right ways yeah they uh they added some things, I think, to pad for time that didn't work. And there were some other things that they should have dug deeper into. And they didn't. I also have two complaints that are not specific to this episode. And we don't actually need to dig into them right now. Not, but not like those worms are digging into the ground? Not like those worms Always are digging down. into the ground. I guess sometime they, they have to go back up? I guess so. We're Hustling. not gonna We're not going to think about worm physics right now. Um, one of them is why do the enemies of the Federation or the central ship on the show always refer to it by its designated name when everything else is 
the Klingon ship or the Romulan ship or... It's just that good of a name. It's just that good of a name. That's why we keep using it throughout history. Indeed. And secondly, it always takes me out of the moment when the aliens have clearly very human teeth. (laughs) I don't know what to do about this. Because I'm sure teeth prosthetics are really tough to deal with a lot of the time. But it does. Okay. And that's all. Huh. I guess one one other thing. Um, I'm concerned about the, the ecology on this planet. Like, it was a cool line that Tran had, was, was 15 before he saw the sun. But I... I guess Andorians don't need vitamin D. Well, that's perfectly believable. Just like, do you, do you grow crops? Are you entirely dependent on like geothermal uh, ecosystem there? Uh, they just eat ice and the blood of their enemies. Where do your enemies come from? Maybe they eat worms. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's very strange. Um, they didn't think too hard about it. Yeah. Neither okay. should we. Uh, We have some awards to give out before we We wrap. We do. So uh, Mayweather report. Uh, So as even though I joked about uh, Travis having one stupid line, which was just the words 100 kilometers, did Hoshi have any lines? Yeah. Or did she just have that one awkward close-up that they made her show up for? I think she had lines. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. So is it Hoshi or Travis this time? I I was going to give it to Travis. Yeah, it's Travis. Okay, it's Travis then. Yeah. It's going to be one of you two almost every time from here on out, is my guess. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. It's like the Travis versus Hoshi, who's more marginalized competition at this point. Mm -hmm. And then we have a Kirk Award to give out. Every show we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. I I want to give it to Jamel. Interesting. Why? Uh, She's the one who nearly dies, then wakes up on the hospital bed and is like, I need to go risk my life again. True. Very true. I was going to say, let's give it to Shran, but that's a strong argument. Let's do it. I love no, giving No, she, the... she was a hero. I love giving the Kirk Award to one-off characters. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right. Congratulations. We may or may not ever see you again. We'll see. We will see. All right. Is that a wrap? Let's call it a wrap. Okay. As always, thank you for listening. If you are enjoying this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. If you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating, a review, or signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. If you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day or send us some ideas for the show, shoot us an email at at least there's a dog at gmail.com. And if you are watching along with us, your next assignment is the episode Affliction. Moving right along. Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye.